Hello, and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. So what was your first encounter with a religious sister? For Sister Mary Sabina, when she first saw religious sisters, she turned and went the other way. But little did she know that this would be the first of many encounters that would eventually lead her to join the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia, also known as the Nashville Dominicans. As part of this teaching order, Sister Mary Sabina lives with three other Dominicans here in the Archdiocese of Vancouver, teaching at different Catholic schools and also helping other women discern their vocations. In this episode, we talk to Sister Mary Sabina about her discernment and vocation story, what it's like to accompany other women in their discernment, and the beauty she's found in spiritual motherhood. Hello, Sister Mary Sabina. Good afternoon. How are you? I am great. I want to say happy feast of St. Catherine of Siena. She's our Dominican big sister, so I'm really grateful to be talking to you on her feast day. No way. Yes. Wow. What are the odds? That's incredible. (laughs) That's right. Blessed face of St. Catherine of Siena beautiful mystic and doctor of the church, but I didn't know that. That's incredible. Yeah. So when we set up the date, I thought, oh, that's the feast of St. Catherine. And, but it's just the day I happened to be working this week for vocations. And so I thought, well, that's the best day I could possibly ask to do this. So. Well, praise God. Well, thank you for joining me today and for sharing some of your time with myself and our listeners. I think maybe just to start, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about what you do currently. Sure. So my name is Sister Mary Sabina, and I'm a Dominican sister of St. Cecilia from Nashville, Tennessee. So I grew up in the United States and went to university. And after university, I entered the sisters. So in 2001, and so I've been a sister since 2001. I made my first vows in 2003 and my final vows in 2008. And since that time, I've been very blessed. I love my community and I love our apostolate and our charism. And so I'm a teacher. I've taught in various locations in the United States and now in Canada. And currently I teach grade 11 and grade 8 in Catholic high school here in Vancouver. And I've also taught a lot of elementary school. So basically everything from kindergarten to grade 11 religion and lots of other subjects in between for the different grades. So currently I work part-time as a teacher in high school, and I also work for the Archdiocese of Vancouver one day a week or part-time. It's never one day a week, it's every day, but um, as a women's vocations director. So I run a women's discernment group for the Archdiocese and meet with young women who are discerning and also give talks to different school groups or parish groups about religious life. 
So beautiful. Now, of course, we're going to be delving into your vocation story because I feel like that's a given, <laughs> given who you are. But I was wondering if you could share with us how you came to know Christ in a very profound way. Because of course, going into a religious vocation, it already requires so much faith and sacrifice. What was your life prior to maybe making that decision with Christ to become a religious sister? My life growing up was probably not one you would expect of a sister. I grew up in a family that my parents were different faiths, so both Christian, but one parent was Catholic and the other was Protestant. And so I went to a lot of church as a kid, and I didn't really understand the difference between the two churches. So I would just go to eight o'clock mass in the morning at the Catholic church, and then I'd go over to the other church for Bible study and worship service, and I'd go back on Sunday night for worship service, then I'd go to prep at my parish during the week, and then I'd go to Wednesday evening worship service. And I had no idea that not everybody was doing this. And so I just had a lot of church, but it really gave me a profound sense of the importance of the faith because I spent so much time at church as a kid. I just thought that I knew that my faith was important, but I came to a point when I was a teenager that I needed to make a decision. I realized there were differences in belief in the two churches, and it was time to either be confirmed in the Catholic Church or baptized in the Protestant Church. And so, to be honest, at that point, I wouldn't say my faith was super personal intentionally. I did act out of it, and I made a lot of decisions because of it. But if you had asked me about it, I wouldn't have thought that I was taking my faith seriously. I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. But when it came to a time to make a personal choice, at first I realized it was just choosing a church. That's what I thought I was doing. But it was during that process, I realized I was actually responding to what God wanted from me. And that's, I think the first time I felt a personal connection to God and the Lord was so merciful to me because I kind of didn't take it seriously. I was like, well, I know I have to make a decision, but I'll just cross that bridge when I get there. Mm. But in 1993, there was World Youth Day in Denver, Colorado, and I was living only an hour away. And so I went because I was bored. I mean, I'll be honest. I went to World Youth Day because I was bored. It was an hour away. My parish had a van going. So I went. And that was the first time I had a sense of the universality of the church. And it was actually while I was there that I had a very particular grace at a youth gathering where all of a sudden I saw all of these young people. I saw a football stadium full of priests hearing confession. Wow. And I looked at the mountains and in my heart, I just knew I'm Catholic. And it was the end. While that wasn't necessarily my personal relationship with Christ, it was what put me on the road to that because it was the foundation of my belonging to the church in an intentional way. And once I realized I was Catholic and I belonged to this greater body of believers, that I began to take my faith more seriously. And so it was actually then that I joined my parish youth group. And through that youth group, I met Christ through our youth minister, especially when she, it sounds very silly, now, but when I was in grade 11, she introduced us to the Eucharist. And I thought, why did nobody ever tell me this was Jesus? <laughs> like, how did I get to be 17 years old and not know that this is Jesus? And when she had an adoration night with our youth group, 
And we just spent prolonged time in adoration. That's when I really encountered Jesus and encountered his love for me and realized that that love was going to make a difference in my life. And so very blessed in that youth minister that was put into my life in the church. And from there, I was able to continue that relationship with Christ within the community of my youth group. I was able to attend a Catholic university, even taking one of my youth group friends with me. We both applied to the same Catholic university and were roommates and just really supported each other in our faith. But it was really a long journey where I was really brought into the church. And it was in the church that I encountered Christ in the Eucharist. And through that, was able to then eventually discern a vocation. And that's so beautiful. I feel like for a lot of people that I talk to, it is the Eucharist and really understanding that that is Jesus in the flesh. Because obviously, we know that that is a profound difference between the Catholics and maybe other Christian faiths. But to recognize that and then to experience that grace and that love for yourself must have been so wonderful. Yes, it was definitely life-changing in every way. And it changed everything after that because I knew who Jesus was and I knew that I was receiving him and I knew that I was loved. And I knew that that made a difference in every part of my life. And then, of course, not everyone goes on to become either a priest or a religious sister. And you kind of alluded to it. So I will let you take the story from there in terms of how you came to feel that call to discern a religious vocation. Sure. You know, going into university, I had never met a sister. And so I never discerned because I didn't know what that was. I didn't know that that was a thing other than occasionally people would be like, oh, have you thought about being a sister? And of course, my answer was no. And in university, I was at a Catholic university in the United States. One day there was a big banner hanging in the commons that said, Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia will be talking at the campus ministry dinner this week. And it was a dinner I went to every single week because it was free food. And so I thought, well, it's a free dinner. And at this point, I was hanging out with a lot of Catholic friends and I realized, oh, discernment is a thing. I was like, well, I'm Catholic. I'm a young woman. I should probably meet sisters. I should probably see what that's about. That seems like a logical thing to do as a Catholic young woman. So I went to listen to these two sisters talk. And the minute they came into the room, I recognized one of them. And I just now said right before that I've never met sisters before. So how do I recognize a sister when I've never met them before? Mm -hmm. And what had happened is World Youth Day always plays into my vocation story. So in 1997, I'm really playing on my age now. I went to World Youth Day in Paris. And in Paris, each archdiocese had its own little parish church where you would gather to get your meals and everything. And so I went with the Archdiocese of Denver and I was with a friend and we were walking around the parish basement together one night getting our dinner. And we walked into a room and looked up and in the doorway, there were two sisters in black and white habits. And I took one look at them and I turned and went the other way. My first encounter with sisters, I took one look and I ran. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so here we are two years later and one of them is standing in my university in this little campus ministry room. So I went up to her and said, excuse me, were you in Paris at World Youth Day? And she said, oh yes, I went with the Archdiocese of Denver. 
And so I was like, of all the sisters in all the world, literally, how does the sister end up here right now? It was just God's providence and really his sense of humor the entire way. So I listened to the sisters talk. That night I couldn't sleep. All of a sudden in my mind, it was, you need to be a nun, be a nun, be a nun. And I thought, this is crazy. And so the next morning I did something I never did my entire university career, which is I got up early enough to go to breakfast. So I lived on campus and if I had a nine o'clock class, I got up at 8.50. That was plenty of time to get dressed and run up the hill to the building. But the sisters had said they would be in the cafeteria for breakfast at some terrible hour in the morning, like eight (laughs) o'clock. And so I got up at 7.45 or something insanely early just to go meet the sisters. And that's what caught my attention. Why can I not sleep? Why am I drawn to these women when I've never thought of this before? Mm-hmm. Why do I just want to be with them? And so I met them for breakfast and they said, well, we're having a retreat in a couple of weeks. You could come. It was a 12 hour drive. And I said, sure, that sounds great. And so two weeks later, I jumped in a car with another girl from my university and we drove to meet the sisters and to go to Nashville, which is our mother house, which is our headquarters. And when I got there, I just felt a sense of peace and like I was at home. And so I was ready to enter the convent that day. So (laughs) I said, this is it. I don't know where I've been my whole life, but here I am. And I met with the vocation director to just be like, listen, I've got all these plans, but I'm willing to throw them all away. I'm willing to come now. What do I need to do? Wow. And she said, you know, why don't you wait a couple of years? I'm like, what? I'm willing to give up everything and you want me to wait? In her wisdom and really through the grace of her office, she knew I needed a little more time. Mm. So I went back to the university and I started discerning. And my university had a campus in Rome. And I thought, well, this is the place to discern, really the eternal city, the heart of the church. So while I'm here, I'll just pray and God will tell me my vocation. So I started praying and I was there in the spring. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray and discern And on Easter, you're going to let me know my vocation. Easter Sunday came and I was very open and very excited and nothing happened. Mm. And I thought, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have put such a timeline on you. I can't schedule your grace. And so I said, I'm sorry for the rush. Pentecost would be a much more appropriate time to learn my vocation. Holy Spirit can come down. The Holy (laughs) Spirit can fill me. I went back to discern. I was open again. And Pentecost came and there was no word from the Lord. And I said, well, obviously that means I'm called to marriage because I've given the Lord all these wonderful options and he hasn't taken them, which means marriage would be the most obvious choice. But my heart wasn't at peace. And so I said, okay, well, Lord, I've tried discernment and I didn't get an answer. I go toward marriage and I don't have peace. I'm just going to go about my life. And you're going to need to act. And I'm going to just wait for that. So I continued to keep in contact with the sisters. But at the same time, I dated some of the young men on my campus. And finally, my last year of university, this wonderful young Catholic man showed up. He was a transfer student. I met him at Daily Mass, which is the perfect place to meet a young man. Pro tip. (laughs) Exactly. Pro tip, Daily Mass goers. And then the danger is you never know who else is discerning when you're there. So, but I'd see him at the nightly rosary and I'd see him at adoration and he would see me 
and we started to get to know each other and we started to date and it was wonderful. He was everything I'd ever hoped for and prayed for in a young man, desiring holiness. We were very compatible. We were a great match. We had the same priorities in our faith. But in the back of my heart, I was still kind of wondering if I was supposed to be a sister. And on the side, like I was seeing him, but I was also contacting the sisters on the other side. And anytime I would get something in the mail from the sisters, I'd get excited. Or if I got a phone call from the sisters, I'd get really excited. So I went to my spiritual director and I said, listen, there's a discernment retreat coming up, but I don't need to go, right? Because I've got this perfect guy. I've prayed. He showed up. Obviously, he's a gift from the Lord. Mm. And it seemed perfect. And my spiritual director said, why do you think you're called to be a sister? And I paused and I'm like, we're here to talk about why I'm called to marriage. And he just looked at me. He said, why do you think you're called to be a sister? And I said, well, if you ask me when I'm at adoration or at mass, I'd say I'm called to be a sister. And then immediately I stopped because what else could I say? I was like, oh, there it is. And what surprised me is as I left that conversation, instead of being devastated that I was now in this state of turmoil, I was so full of joy and happiness. I was almost skipping away from spiritual direction at this thought that when I'm with Jesus, I feel called to be a sister. And so I had to tell the young man, I said, listen, I've got to figure this out before I become any more involved with you. I need to go on this vocation retreat and see what the Lord has in mind. And he was so beautiful as a good Catholic young man. And he said, okay, I respect that. And I'm going to pray for you because I want you to do what the Lord wants. You know, like everybody's dying. They're like, this is the perfect man. Where is he? How could you give this up? And so I went on this retreat and I really felt at peace, a deep, deep peace that I've never known. And what I realized was when I first went to visit the convent, I hadn't had the serious relationship yet. I hadn't had, so to speak, the right guy come across my path that was really marriage material. And I could have entered the convent that first time, but I would have always wondered in the back of my mind, what if I had just waited for the right guy to come along? Mm -hmm. I just not been patient. And I didn't want to enter the convent with doubts like that. Maybe I should have waited. But I knew at this point, I've got the option of a beautiful marriage. I can see that all the beauty, all the wonderful love and the image of the Trinity, everything beautiful about marriage, I see it and I desire it, but I feel called to belong totally to Christ. And I knew it wasn't something that I would regret. I knew that I could enter the convent without regrets, but I knew if I got married all of a sudden, I would always wonder what if I was called to be a sister. And I didn't think that was fair to him, to my future husband or to my future family. I realized, okay, I really feel called by the Lord to, to try, to enter, to give it a chance. I feel that this is what he wants me to do. I've prayed about it and all the signs are there. And it's not because I had no other option. The Lord really respected my freedom. He didn't want me to come and question later. And so I was just so grateful that he knew my heart well enough to really give me everything I could have ever asked for before he asked for my undivided love. And so I was really able to give it to him very freely. 
I've got goosebumps. Oh my goodness. There's so many things going on. And, you know, I have to tell you, I think as listeners are listening to this, I think a lot of the story that you just shared, I'm also hearing for the first time too. And I'm just so blown away at how I have never doubted God's intuition. And like you were saying, his sense of humor and the way that he weaves things together. But that is just so remarkable. Just the fact that he was willing to be patient with you to allow you to discover different parts of your own identity, your femininity, before he called to ask for everything. And I find that to be just such a a great reminder that he always has our best interests at heart because he loves us. And I think I love it too, because so often we're so ready to act and we don't understand why the Lord isn't ready to receive it right now. You know, I was ready to give my heart to him two years before I was actually able to enter the convent. And I was devastated when I was first told, you need more time. But the Lord knew I needed that time and he knew it would only make me more free, more available to love and better able to give my heart. And so I often tell young women who feel frustrated by the fact that they can't move when they want to move, or there's some obstacle Mm-hmm. that the Lord uses all of it. And so we have to trust because he, that's what he did with me. He was respecting my freedom that I didn't even know that I needed to work through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yes. Now, my initial question was going to be, how did you know that it was the Dominicans? But I think as you've illustrated in your story, you know, God just kind of placed them in your life in a very profound and almost very obvious way, which I find to be so beautiful. But maybe for those who are listening who are not familiar with the Dominicans of St. Cecilia, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about the order and the congregation and the charism and spirituality. Sure, I would love to because as soon as I met the sisters, I really had no clue because I hadn't grown up with sisters, what it meant to be a Dominican versus a Franciscan versus a sister of life and all of these options. And I had a friend looking at the poor Claire's. And so the minute I met the sisters, they said, well, why don't you read about St. Dominic to get to know him? And so I, of course, immediately got a book about St. Dominic and started reading. The minute I started reading about St. Dominic, I was blown away because The Dominican charism or the Dominican spirituality has four parts. And the first part is prayer, which should be obvious. The second part, though, is study. So we have a very contemplative foundation, and that contemplation is through prayer and study. And I've always been one of those people that I like school. I like to learn. I love all of that. And I started reading, and St. Dominic founded the Order to Combat Heresy in the Middle Ages. But to do that, he said, you have to be well-formed intellectually. You can't just fight heresy based on emotion. Mm. And you can't just give people truth without understanding the reason behind it. And so study is integral to being a Dominican. And I love to study. And I really read, I was reading about St. Dominic and I went, wait, I can be holy through study? I didn't realize that was like a path to holiness. I just thought that was something you had to do. So Immediately, I latched onto the Dominican spirituality. So, but the prayer and the study being the contemplative aspects, but then we also have a very active aspect as well, both through our community life that we live with each other, which is like our family life, mm-hmm. but then also through our apostolate, which is the way we serve the church. 
And as Dominicans, we were formed to preach the truth. And so Dominic, that was his motto, was truth. And he formed the order of preachers because during the Middle Ages, so few people um, knew the truth and knew the faith in a way that was deep and rational and reasoned. So we're called the Order of Preachers to preach the truth. And in our community, the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia, we do that through teaching. And so we were founded in the United States in 1860, right in the middle of the Civil War. And we were in the American South at the time. And our community was very much founded in the very deep poverty of the Civil War in the South. But we were founded as a boarding school for young women under the patronage of St. Cecilia, the Virgin and Martyr, who was our patroness because we were forming young women to be virtuous and to be strong Mm. and to excel even in the feminine arts and the fine arts, you know. And so Cecilia was everything feminine, but everything strong. And she was married, but a virgin, you know, and she was a martyr for the faith. And so she was just this beautiful exemplar for our young women, but also for us. And so for the past over 150 years, that has been part of our charism. And so today that's what we do. We teach in different schools and campus ministries and parishes, mostly in North America, but also in other countries around the world. And so when I met the sisters, to be honest, I didn't want to be a teacher at first, or at least growing up, that was not my goal in life. But when I met the sisters, I knew I was at home and I knew that's where God wanted me, but it's also who God made me to be. And through that, I realized the teaching charism is everything I wanted to be. I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. I wanted to share the truth. I wanted to know God and know Jesus through study. And I wanted to share him with others. And I wanted to accompany people. And what better way to give life to souls and to really practice spiritual motherhood than giving them spiritual life through teaching the faith. And so the Dominican spirituality was something that was such a natural fit for me personally. And then to see it expressed through the way the sisters live the life, it it was just all God's providence in leading me to the Dominican sisters of St. Cecilia And then embodying that charism in myself and being really kind of blown away, to be honest. This was never anything I planned, but I've become who I was created to be. And that is just so amazing. Like just the ways in which he's really formed you, even though you weren't thinking that you were going to be a teacher and yet here you are. So that's really incredible. And also... This is so funny. Just as you're speaking, things started to click in my mind. I've always been fascinated with the letters that come after each sister's name. (laughs) And for a very long time, I should have looked this up. We have Google, but I should have looked up what OP stands for. And now I know it's because of the order of preachers. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) It's been my little thing just as I meet different congregations, which is why is it like that? So thank you so much for that. You touched on something that I wanted to jump into a little bit more because you mentioned how you're able to accompany people. Mm -hmm. So as a teacher, of course, you're accompanying students. But here in our diocese, we're very fortunate. I'm very fortunate as a young woman in this diocese to have you as someone who accompanies young women, like you were saying, in the area of religious vocation. Mm -hmm. And I was curious to know from your standpoint, what 
that experience has been like? What have been some of the graces that comes with accompanying these women? I will have to say it has been one of the most privileged experiences of my life to accompany young women in their discernment, both in watching young women respond to graces from the Lord, to rejoice with people as they rejoice, to walk with people in the very difficult times of discernment, because we all know that discernment can be full of confusion and seeming contradiction when you're not sure what the Lord wants. But to walk with young women, to watch them respond actively to graces, and then to see it bear fruit in their vocation has just been something I marvel at because I am watching God's grace at work in so many different people at the same time. And it really blows me away. And I feel so honored and privileged to be able to witness to that with so many young women and also to pray with them through the hard times. So that is part of being a sister is to be a spiritual mother. And I I believe Sister Antoniana also talked about that spiritual motherhood. Mm -hmm. And so as a teacher, I, I see it with my students and I see it with their parents. But in this role in particular, to get to walk with young women and actually to share my own journey, to share my life and my experiences and to see how those can be helpful to other people. You know, my story to me is just my story. It's just what I've lived. But to realize that it's part of a bigger story and to know someone's story gives us the courage to continue walking our own story. And so it's been a real grace to get to know so many young women. And I love our discernment group because I get to accompany young women in their vocation discernment to all vocations. We call them our graduates who have gone on to get married and have children. And so my email is full of, here's a picture of our baby. And then some young women who have gone on to interreligious life. And here's a picture of my first profession of vows. And just to see the beauty of the grace that God gives to the church and in so many different ways. And so it's really been a gift to me personally and to strengthen my own faith because I just see God's grace in so many tangible ways that it's undeniable that God is at work. And even being proud of people during their life milestones, like congratulations for your project that was finished. Thank you so, so I can much. rejoice even with that, you know, because I know that's a huge milestone for you in your life. And just to be able to appreciate that with you and how much that means to you and the work that's gone into that. So even on a natural level, it's wonderful. Absolutely. We know that spiritual motherhood is one of the aspects of the feminine genius and like who we are called to be as women. Maybe like if you could elaborate on that or even expand on just the different ways that you've seen the feminine genius or how you've exhibited the feminine genius throughout your own life. Yes, I find that to be almost a humorous question if you had known me as a child, because Feminine genius is not what you would have thought to see me as a kid. I was a bit of a tomboy. I always had a black eye for my school picture for the first several years of elementary school. Not because I was in fights, but because I was falling out of trees and falling off of bicycles and playing softball with my dad. And I wasn't what most people would have looked at and be like, oh, what a sweet little girl. And for so long, I thought that's what it meant, that feminine piece. 
And it wasn't until I became a sister, I even laughed when I realized I was going to wear a habit for the rest of my life because as a girl, I hated wearing dresses and skirts. And my poor mother would try to buy me a nice dress and I would ruin it because I did it. I thought it was scratchy. So it took me a while to really own my own feminine genius and to really embrace it. And I think what it took was realizing that I'm so beloved by Christ, especially entering into discernment, brought in that relational aspect with him. And it was through that that parts of me came alive that I didn't realize were there. And there are parts of me that I realized were a gift that I had just thought were part of, I don't know, a natural personality or maybe even defect sometimes. But it was actually all part of the Lord's gift to me. And so I think as a sister, what I've realized is I really love being in relationship with people and accompanying people in a one-to-one relationship. I really thrive in having coffee with someone and going deeper in that kind of a relationship. I do not thrive necessarily in the feminine arts. I quit dance because it conflicted with basketball, you know? <laughs> so, and I'm not musical, even though my community is musical, I am one of the ones that appreciates the music. But I think that's something that's important too that people sometimes forget is that the feminine genius doesn't have to always be active. It can also be quite receptive. And that's who we're created to be as women, is receptive, receptive to God's grace, receptive to love, and then to nurture what we've received from others and let that give life. I really appreciate receiving from the friendship of others and working in that mutual friendship. And so my feminine genius has really come alive in realizing that I do really well on one-on-one relationships, just walking and talking and accompanying people in their journey. And that's a good place to be. My place isn't necessarily on stage. And I've realized we compare ourselves as women so many times to other people's feminine genius. Like the feminine genius in that person looks like this. And wow, I don't look like that. So I must not have a feminine genius. Or I mean, I must not be living my feminine genius. Mm. But in our community, we have a saying that is compare, despair. And so the minute you compare, you're going to despair. To be able to appreciate the gifts of others and to really uphold those gifts and to glory in those gifts that God has given to other people and then realize that maybe my gifts are more hidden. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're a little quieter. And that's okay because that's what we need as well. And so to accompany people one-on-one, whether it's my students and just appreciating something they've done well or noticing that they got a haircut or noticing that they've really tried hard and saying, I'm really proud of you for doing something that's really hard. That's where I've really seen that spiritual motherhood come into play. And that's where I've really felt that feminine genius coming out in my own life. So small ways and kind of unexpected, but at the same time, I think some of the more powerful ways to let people know that they're noticed, that they're loved, and through that to hopefully let them know that God notices them and God loves them. Amen. I'm going to remember that from now on, compare despair. (laughs) 
Because I feel like you're absolutely right so many times and, and particularly as women, we really struggle with that piece of, I mean, I'm not excelling in a certain area in the way that other people are. And like you said, it's one thing to you know, look upon other people and really celebrate their successes. But then the trouble comes when we start to compare ourselves to them and we start to think that I need to be exactly where they are at that point in their life. When God has made us so uniquely with so much individuality and with very unique gifts and the ways in which we live out our feminine genius will always be different. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that reminder. It's a very good reminder that I think we all need to be reminded of from time to time. And I think just as we close, you were mentioning accompanying women and maybe just accompanying people in general. For someone who does all of this accompaniment with folks, when it comes to thinking about discernment, what advice do you have for any listener about discernment, whether it is to religious life or to marriage or, you know, even consecrated single life? Yes. The first thing I would say is to quote, I would say John Paul too, but he's actually quoting Jesus. So to quote our Lord, be not afraid. Don't be afraid of what the Lord has in store for you because he wants your happiness. He wants your joy and he wants you to live life to the full. And so many times I think when we discern, we're afraid of what he might ask of us. We're afraid we're going to be asked to give more than we have. We're afraid we're going to be asked to do something we're scared to do. But we don't have to be afraid because God loves us infinitely and he's not going to ask of us anything that doesn't lead to our ultimate joy. And so to not be afraid to discern anything in life, but especially our vocation, because he created our heart for joy and for happiness and fulfillment And he wants that more than we do. And so that's what discernment is, is just finding out where he wants us to be happy. And so, so number one, not to be afraid of whatever it is the Lord's going to ask you, because it's actually going to be much better than anything you could have planned for yourself. The second thing I would say is just always get to know Jesus. It's his voice we're listening to, and it's his voice that we're responding to. And so often in our world, there's so many voices competing for our attention. We have the voice of the world, and we have the voice of an enemy, and we have our own voice, and we have the voice of the Lord. And sometimes because our world can be so noisy, it can be hard to hear the voice of Christ. But the more time we spend in prayer, the better we know his voice the better we hear his voice and the easier it is to respond to that voice because it's always that voice of love, not necessarily without challenge. He's not afraid to call us out and to call us to greater things, but it's always in such a gentle, loving way. I think of St. Catherine, gentle Jesus, Jesus love. She doesn't call him that without a profound experience of his gentle love. And so to get to know him and his love But then also, whenever we're discerning, not to be afraid to step out and act. I think sometimes we think we hear him, we're pretty sure we know it, but we're still afraid to take that step onto the water. But we can't live a vocation if we're not willing to move, if we're not willing to act. Jesus called the disciples on a journey, and a journey implies movement. (laughs) And so we have to be willing to move forward and to trust and know that sometimes God will open doors and sometimes he closes doors, 
but even a closed door gives direction because it, it closes off one direction. So it pushes you into other directions. So to not be afraid to step out and to move. And, you know, if, if you're a discerning marriage, that means you might need to date because you can't marry people you don't know. And if you're discerning religious life, then it means get to know sisters, get to visit some sisters. And if you're discerning consecrated single life, then really enter strongly into that. And to see what is it that God is asking of you and to start acting on it. And I have one, I think for women is so hard is to not pressure yourself. We put so much pressure on ourselves to do the right thing and do it the right way and have it done at the right time. And it's that compare despair, you know, well, she started discerning and now she's already married or she started discerning and now she's entering religious life. And I discerned three years before she did, and I'm still discerning. We have to not put pressure on ourselves because if we are actively seeking God's will, he's using every step in the journey. And so he will take whatever happens and weave it into our story in a beautiful way. And then the last thing I would say is to just trust God. It's kind of like be not afraid again. But to trust because God is going to work in and through the people and events of your life to bring you closer to himself. God, it says, writes straight with crooked lines. Sometimes we look at all the mess of our life and we look at the mess that we've created and sometimes the mess that's been created by others. And we think, how in the world can this ever lead to joy and to fulfillment and to happiness? God can. God always can. And so to not be afraid of our own selves and to not be afraid of our own past and to not be afraid of our own woundedness and not to be afraid of our own gift. You know, sometimes we're afraid of our own giftedness and our own feminine genius. And we're afraid to let that shine, but we don't need to be afraid. We can trust God to use all of it. Sister Mary Sabina, thank you so much. And Maybe just to close off this episode, would you mind leading us in a closing prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we praise you. We bless you. We thank you for the gift of this day and the gift of this time together. And we ask you to bless us in a particular way, to always have hearts that are open to your voice, and to your love, and to your will. Give us the grace to hear you and to respond to you, to trust you, and to follow you, knowing that you have only our joy, our fulfillment, and our peace in your heart. In a special way, we ask for the intercession of St. Catherine of Siena to pray for us to embrace who we are and to live our lives to the fullest so that we can be who you have created us to be. And through that, we can set the whole world on fire with love for you. Be with us in our world during these times. Let us be witnesses to faith and to hope and to love and to joy so that others may see the light that you give and come to your truth. In a special way, we place ourselves under the care of our Heavenly Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Catherine of Siena, pray for us. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sister Maria Sabina. It was truly a pleasure. My thanks again to Sister Mary Sabina for joining me on this episode. I have to share the ways in which God's timing is super perfect here. You heard at the beginning that we recorded this episode on the feast of St. Catherine of Siena, who is a doctor of the church and a Dominican saint. And as it happens, the release of this episode comes two days after the feast of another great Dominican saint, St. Dominic. His feast was on August 8th, and as you may guess, he is the founder of the Dominican Order. So if you would like to learn more about these wonderful saints and the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia, you can check out their website, nashvilledominican.org. I've left a link to it in the episode description below. Please stay up to date with The Feminine Genius by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at FemGeniusPod. And please listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many other platforms. And if you love what you're hearing, I would love it if you left a review as it helps other folks find the show. All of this information can be found on our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless always.